You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. I think for us as a church family, it's been a riveting one. It really has uh, drawn some things out. And today is a, is a beautiful picture of what I would consider the core message of the Bible. So if you are a seasoned follower of Christ, I think this will, this will resonate deeply with you and remind you of how rich a, 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 a message that God sends to us. If you're exploring God, I do believe that this will, will perhaps clear some things up uh, for you. I was just thinking this past week, uh, standing in Starbucks and uh, thinking about how, how in every, almost every part of life, Nothing is equal. Uh, you, you can't even order a cup of coffee and just say, hey, give me a cup of coffee, right? It's got to be tall, grande, or vintage. You get on a plane, you know, you got uh, comfort, you got coach, you got first class. You go to a ball game, you got the VIP box, and you got the nosebleed section. I mean, everything in life, there's some, uh, you know, inequality to it. There's different uh, balances and different levels, I should say. And so it is with life. We have uh, on the negative side of that, we have differences that we pr- are prejudiced with uh, race. We're, we have prejudice with uh, gender. We have prejudice with age discrepancy. And in human beings, we fight against that. Um, and Christ says, hey, we're all equal. And that's the message that we're going to look at today. Even in heaven. We're told that not all things are equal. That's where we begin today. And if you're following along, you have your Bible. There's sometimes we kind of hover. Sometimes we jump around. We're going to hover today in John chapter 8. So if you want to turn there, uh, you'll get a head start. But we're, uh, let me set it up here with Luke chapter 19. Uh, you remember the story. This is a story for some of you of what's called the minas, or we would call it a coin. And uh, there's a there's the master who had servants. He distributed to uh, the these masters of these servants. And he, here's here's uh, different uh, ways of distribution. And, and the distribution was not equal. Uh, one got ten. One got five. One got one. And then they came back and they report it later. And this is where we pick it up. The first one came and said, "Sir, your mina has earned ten more." And well done, my good and faithful servant. The the master replied. So you know you got a couple of parables like this, like the talents, where people got different ones. Here the minas, everybody got one, and then then some people you know increased it ten, some increased it others. And look what he says: "Well done, my good faithful servant." Uh, my the master replied, "Because you've been trustworthy in a very small city or some small matter, take charge of ten cities." The second one come and said, hey, you're the minor that, that you gave to me. It's earned five more. His master said, okay, you take charge of five cities. So it, this is an indicator that in heaven, that it's not like God loves one more than the other, but we do find out that, that there's going to be different levels in heaven, that different assignments. And this one guy got 10 cities, the other got five cities, and the other got nothing. And so uh, he's still there, you know, he's still, you know, but he, he's ended up with zero. So even in heaven, there's unequal terms. So Jesus comes and he, he talks today about what I'm going to call equal silence. Okay, equal silence. The story that we're about to see, if you know the Bible, is well known. This is the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. 
Now, she wasn't caught with a text on her phone. She wasn't caught with an email or a little glimpse of another man. She was caught in the act of adultery. So we were, uh, well, I'll leave it at that. So uh, in John chapter 8 and verse 1, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So there's a crowd. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in, in this crowded space, a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the whole group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, known to us as the Old Testament, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say, Jesus? Now, if you're reading this story, you're unfamiliar with the Bible. It's a little bit unsettling. Because in the Old Testament, they had different measures for different sin, different measures for different behavior. Small sin, small penalty. Big sin, big penalty. And so in, this, in that culture, they, when they caught someone in the act of adultery, both the man and the woman, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, Leviticus chapter 20, in the Old Testament law, then when they were caught in that act of adultery, then they were taken out and they were killed. It was a capital offense. Okay, show of hands, who's glad you didn't live back then? All right. <laughs> but then Jesus comes along and he flips the whole system. So in their minds, they have been entrenched from their fathers, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers, their great-great-grandfathers. They've been entrenched with this unequal sense of law. That means big sin, big penalty, small sin, smaller penalty. So like if you accidentally killed your neighbor's you know, cow, then you got to replace the cow. They didn't get killed for you know, accidentally taking out somebody's cow. So all different kind of levels. So now they come in this woman, so there's so much unequal levels here. First of all, the people that were getting ready to stone this woman, they, were, they found themselves higher than the woman. When we judge other people, we put ourselves at a higher level. Maybe it's an inch higher, a foot higher, two miles higher, but you are higher because we would say we're looking down on other people when we're judging them. So there's inequality. What's missing in this story is the man. The woman was caught in the, in, the, in the act of adultery, and last time I checked, it takes two to tango. Where was the man in this story? How come he wasn't brought forth? Because in the, in the, in the Levitical law, or the Old Testament law, both of them had to face this penalty. And then the Pharisees, the religious folks who were bringing this charge against them, they definitely felt like, oh, she is worthy of our judgment. They made themselves higher. And when you look at this, they, they asked Jesus a question, and the question actually is a very deep theological question. And, of course, Jesus answers it in only a masterful way that he can answer, and he shows them a picture he thus just doesn't ask them a question. See, their question was a trap. They were asking him, hey, this law that we have, it demands that this woman be stoned, and the man, but they weren't mentioning that. What do you say? 
And in verse 6 of John 8, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. Now, the reason that this was a basis for accusing Jesus is this. If he disavowed the law and said, look, guys, let's just let it go. Let's just, let's just, hey, we'll turn the other cheek, we'll turn the other way. If he d- disavowed the law, then he would have been considered lawless. And those, those around him that knew the law and embraced the law would look at Jesus and they would say, then he is illegitimate, right? He doesn't have any legitimacy left to him. However, if he had said, okay, let's carry out this penalty, Stoning by that time had become a very unpopular practice, as you can imagine. Back in the day, it was part of that culture. But in that day, over time, it had become less popular with the people and they would have been against Jesus. But more than that, if Jesus would have said, you're right, let's take her out back and stone her, then what he would have been doing is contradicting the compassion and the forgiveness that he had been exercising and demonstrating to the broken and to the marginalized and to the scandalous. And now he was in a, now he was in a, 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 a quagmire, as they would say. Because, see, all they had in their mind was that there, there was this sense of big sin, little sin. This is a big one. And definitely, when you look at the Scripture, Definitely when there there is a sense, not only in heaven, but only in but also in hell, if you study it deep enough, that you'll find that there are different levels in each destination. And even Jesus, when he was talking to the to, to Pilate, he said to him uh, in John, John 19, Jesus said, The one that handed me over to you, Judah, uh, Judas, is guilty of a greater sin. So in other words, Jesus is saying, hey, that was greater than some other sins. And you remember Jesus talked about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That that was like the ultimate sin because we're rejecting God when he's trying to draw us to himself. So even Jesus is talking about big ones and little ones, right? But Jesus pulls back and says, oh, there's such a bigger picture than this because you guys are caught up into what I'm going to call today an unrepresented justice system. What do I mean by that? In, the, in the, our courts of law, we have big ones and little ones. Big, big crimes, little crimes. Federal crimes, local crimes, state crimes. We have different kind of crimes, right? So if you shoplift and you kill someone, there's going to be a different penalty. At least that's the way it should work on paper, right? And so when you, when you uh, have in our justice system... You have the right in this country to be represented by someone who's going to be your advocate. But if you don't have that representative, then you are bare before the justice system and you're going to get a penalty depending that's commensurate with your crime. Are you tracking? So there is this there's a sense that in their mind they were only thinking of justice in a justice system. Big crime, act of adultery, big penalty. We take her out back and get stoned. Uh, Sir. <laughs> Let's pray, shall we? <laughs> uh, 
Now, that passage is found in the book of Hebrews. Uh, all right. I got like a million jokes running right through my head right now, but I'm going to leave that alone. So here's how Jesus deals with this. Jesus says, oh, I see where you guys are at. In the Sermon on the Mount, he goes, oh, I see where you guys are at. So a man can look at a woman, and even though he's married, he can look at her and in his heart lust for her. And you guys, are, you're saying that's okay. And he says, that's, that's not the way it rolls in the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is an internal thing, not an external. The external is only a reflection of the internal. He said, I know what you guys call murder. You know, you pick up in some you know, blunt object and you take somebody's life. He goes, no, that's not it. Let me broaden your understanding that when you're hating on people internally, for God, as he sees that, that's like murder. I mean, it must have blown their minds. Like, wait a minute, wait, 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 let me look in the Old Testament. I don't see that anywhere. It was there because the Old Testament speaks a lot about the heart. They just missed it because they were so externally justice representative, uh, without a representative, so justice oriented. So Jesus said, okay, I can see you guys. And he had a little bit of a head start. He could see their hearts. So then he bends down, watch this, in Acts, in uh in John chapter 8, verse 6. So Jesus didn't say anything. He just bent down. And he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, like, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do? Are you going to hold the flow? Are you going to be lost? What are you going to do? I mean, they kept on. They just kept on agony. And the entire time, in silence, he's writing in the, in the dirt on the ground. And people ask, by the way, wonder what Jesus was writing. There could have been a lot of things we don't know. Okay, here are some of the theories, and I like them all. So Jesus, because he could see the heart, he might have been writing the names of the women that these men had lusted for, and he, they thought they, that no one ever saw. He might have written the name of the man who was also caught in the act of adultery who wasn't there. He might have been writing just sins that they knew that they were guilty for. Some people think that he might have written and quoted from the book of Daniel, which the quote often that he, people attribute to this writing is that you've been found in the, you're, you've been weighed in the scales and have found to be wanting, that you, you didn't measure up. Who knows what he wrote? But he wrote something that caught their attention, and he straightened up and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, big or small, big or small, maybe you haven't killed anyone, maybe there's no murderers in this room, but Jesus is saying it's not about small thinking that this one's worse than this one. There is a bigger arena here that all of us, have this stain of sin, brokenness, one way or the other. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to pick up a stone and throw it at her. 
And in that moment, you see between verse 7 and verse 8, you see what you, you see what you see there? In other words, if, uh, between the word her and again, you know what you see there? Nothing. Silence. There's no talk back. And there's no record of further questioning because they knew they were guilty. What an incredible teaching moment. Jesus could have the deepest theology by drawing in the dirt. Think about that. By drawing in the dirt. And again, he stooped down and just kept writing on the ground. Here's the bigger picture. And most of us know it. Big or small, we are separated from God because of our sin. Big or small. External or internal, it doesn't matter to God. In fact, Isaiah 59 says it this way. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, big or small. This is our key verse. I'm going to switch over to Romans chapter 3 for a minute. Romans chapter 3. This is our key verse today. Watch this. Well, before we get there, let me say this. James chapter 2 verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law, I mean every, everything but falls in just one single point, becomes accountable for all of it. See, when he began to write, like, oh, wow, oh, geez, ooh, that was going on. Romans chapter 3, watch this, the, the equal silence. Now we know that whatever the law says, those are the rules, the commandments, etc., it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth might be silenced. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared right with God, righteous in his in God's sight by observing the rules and the regulations of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscience, conscious of sin. Let me put it this way. So I eat uh, the same thing for lunch every single day. Uh, and it's a salad. And it has all kinds of stuff in it. One of those things that in it is kale. Thank you for loving me. Yes, kale. Yes. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not repeating that, but that was funny. <laughs> so, yeah, so we, we, um, so we have kale. And then in there, I don't know if you know hemp hearts, flaxseed. I just put all this stuff in there. Well, I've noticed that kale and hemp hearts and flaxseed combo is like teeth stickers. They just they stick in your teeth. And have you ever had a meeting and you come back and you go to the restroom and you know you're washing and then you like you know you look in the mirror and like your teeth are just full of stuff. <laughs> then you know who your friends are not like. Look, I give everybody permission. Hey, dude, you got, you know, you got, you know, one of those. I mean, that's how you know you're a friend, right? If I'm with somebody at lunch, they didn't say anything. I mean, dude, didn't you tell me? I guess your teeth are full of junk. I don't even know what it is. It looks like sand, dude. What have you been eating, right? Anyway, so when you look in the mirror, the mirror reveals what's in your teeth but the mirror cannot clean your teeth. When you look in the law, the law reveals 
the brokenness, but the law cannot clean the brokenness. That's the difference between, see, this is why it's really profound and really relevant. This is why Jesus was answering a big, bigger question. Can religion make us right with God? And he said, it can't. It can point it out for you, but it can't clean it. It can tell you and show your brokenness because Jesus was writing and he said, oh, that could clean you. That can point it out, but that dirt cannot clean you. That law, that maybe Bible references that he's writing, it can't clean you. So everyone began to leave. Watch. He said, hey, if you got sin, go ahead and throw a rock. But they began to go away. John chapter 8, verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. And I love this one. The older ones first, because their library of sin was bigger. <laughs> Until, watch these words, only Jesus was left. You know why Jesus was left? Because he's the only one without sin. And there's your picture. See, if Jesus was just a regular sinful man, he needed to leave too. But only Jesus was standing. But how about the woman? She was there. She was sinful. How come she didn't leave? Well, let me tell you. Because she was getting ready to be represented. Her lawyer was standing there. You see, I can't come into the courtroom unrepresented. But you better bet your do bottom dollar that I can come in with my lawyer. Only she was standing there with the woman standing there by herself. Jesus straightened up, John 8, 10, and asked her, woman, so where are they? Has no one condemned you? He, she said, no one, sir. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now that's interesting. That seems a little judgmental. Like, hey, stop doing that, right? How many times is a parent, hey, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. The difference between Jesus and a parent is that he was actually giving her the empowerment to stop doing that. He said, I'm going to give you a gift today. I'm going to represent you. I'm going to cover all your sins because when Jesus goes into the courtroom, here's this. Let's say we got a courtroom and you need it. And the ticket, if you have a ticket, you got to go to court and that ticket represents sin. Now, some people got a VIP ticket. They've done the big stuff. And some people got a little nosebleed section ticket. They, they, they haven't done as much as, you know, let's say the Hitlers and the Sodom Zanes and the dictators and all the evil people in the world. And they think, hey, I just got a little ticket. But the way that it works in the Bible is that all of us got a ticket. And all of us have got to go to court. And when we go to court, we're like, oh, man, I don't have anyone that can stand up for me between me and the judge. And so we come and we're nervous about the penalty. And the, then the lawyer steps in. Oh, wow, we got a lawyer. And his name is Jesus. I'm like, wow, that's cool. And then we think, well, Jesus is just going to step in between us and the judge 
But then he shocks us, and the, and the lawyer says, whatever the penalty is for Steve McCoy, I'm going to take it. And I'm going to be penalized for it, and I'm going to be laid on the cross so that justice is served on the cross, but grace is exercising compassion to the guy that can't help myself, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the woman was like, oh, wow, I'm not just represented. I'm covered. I'm covered. And so there she stands. And then he gifts her with this amazing thing. I want to give you the power to live about it. Because you're not happy with it and neither am I. It's interesting when you look at this silence that comes because there's another silence. So there's the first silence is like, I'm guilty. I have nothing to say. I remember in the third grade, my teacher was, her name was Mrs. McClarity. She was 109 years old. I was pretty convinced. <laughs> she had more wrinkles than this, the, the uh, a dried up desert. And uh, I stole something in class. It was some little curtain rod pulley, and somebody had it, and I thought it was cool, so I, st st I stole it. And I stuck it in my pocket, and she was close to being omniscient. <laughs> Somehow she just knew everything, right? She came to my desk. She goes, hey. Um, did you take that thing? I'm like, no, ma'am. I did not. And like the woman caught in adultery, she said, let's go to the front of the class. And I, was, I stood in the front of the class, and she goes, let's empty your pockets. I hated her, I'm just saying. I, and I, I'm not sure I've gotten over it yet. But, and I reached in my pocket, and I'm like, Oh, these don't pull out. These are the kind of pockets that don't pull out. And she goes, well, let me help you with that. And put that little bony hand right down my pocket. Probably gotten sued for it today. but. And she pulled it out. And it was silent. To this day, one of third grade, one of my eight. But to this day. I just remember that, like, slow motion. And then the walk of shame back to my desk. <laughs> then I caught her fire, her car on fire after school. It's pretty cool. It's good. <laughs> when everybody looks in the mirror, we think, oh, no. Silence. There is no argument in the courtroom. And then we read these words in, in Romans 3. But now there is a righteousness from God. Not a righteousness from any of us. A righteousness from God. Apart from the law, thank God. It's been made known to us to which all the law and the prophets, they were talking about it all these years. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ 
To all who believe, not like I believe he lived, but believe that he could provide the righteousness, and I'm going to depend on that rather than religion, than right behavior, than trying to get better. That ticket that you're holding in your hand that you're hoping for, you can't trust it anymore. You must trust in Christ alone. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ who all believe. There is no difference because everybody's got a ticket called sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory and the expectations of God. And now we are justified freely. I love this little play on word. Just if I'd never sinned. I stand before God just if I'd never sinned. Because it's from God. Justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now watch this, because in 21st century American church, we don't want to get too heavy, but this is it, okay? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of at-one-ment, atonement, through faith in his blood, not just an intellectual agreement that Jesus was a good guy and that he was even God in the flesh, and then he came, and I agree with all those facts. No, I have faith in the blood that he shed on the cross. That that brings my righteousness. That was the thing from God. The thing from God was the blood of Christ, the ultimate lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're to God that we got more excited about it. I know I am. Why the passion? Here's why the passion. Because the world keeps trying and trying and trying and trying to say there are multiple ways to get there. And they're not, it's not right or wrong. It's just impossible. It's just impossible. We can't come to God unless we are represented and covered by the advocate. You see? That's why the passion. One more point before we remember what Christ did today in the Lord's Supper. One more point of silence. Hundreds of years before Christ came, God gave this promise in the book of Ezekiel. And so not only are we silent when we represent that we, we got caught with the thing and with sin in our pocket, but we're silenced by his grace and his love. Watch this. God said hundreds of years before Christ came as a prediction of prophecy, I will establish my covenant with you. And he was speaking in the context about Jerusalem, but the, 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 um, the promise of Christ is all through the Old Testament. I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall know that I am the Lord, in order that you may remember it's what we're doing today and be confounded. Are you saying the lawyer is going to pay my speeding ticket? Are you saying the lawyer is willing to take capital punishment? For my crime? 
does nothing less than confounding. And then it becomes more confounding when you recognize that he's the Lamb of God and he didn't do any crime. In order that you may remember and be confounded and be silent and never open your mouth again because of your humiliation, when I forgive you, would you say it with me? All that you have done, saith the Lord. Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're not going to worship. We're going to do it in silence. So that we can show God we're still confounded. Still amazed. You pay the penalty. Before we do that. Let me give you an urgent message for those of you that are exploring God. Listen carefully. Give me two minutes. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. But there's a gap between you and God if you haven't taken on Christ's uh, representative nature. In other words, if you haven't said, Christ, I want you to be my advocate, my savior. I want you to forgive all my sins. Whatever you're trusting in, listen, everybody's trusting in something. Atheists trust in something. Atheists trust that there is no God. That's a faith. You're having faith, there's no God. You're an agnostic. You're tra- trusting in different ways. You're pluralistic. That You mean like all, all roads get to God. Many, many different roads get to God. That's what you have faith in. Every human being has faith in something. Nobody has faith in nothing. So you have faith in something, and God is calling you today to transfer that faith to Christ alone. To no longer trust in anything or anyone. Don't trust in me. Don't trust in a priest. Don't trust in the church for your relationship with God. Because a new righteousness from God has been delivered to you by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to pray before we go to the Lord's Supper. And I want to give you just a little bit of a space, especially if you are exploring, searching for God. And we're going to pray together. And maybe this is the day. Maybe you're at home right now listening. And surprising to you, God is gripping you like you've never been gripped before. And if that's the case, I invite you as we pray to speak to God right now. Let's pray. God, we are silenced. No one has an argument. No one has a a justification. No human being, if we look deep enough, God, no one has can raise their hand and say, yeah, but, God, we are all silenced by our sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Today, God, we pray for those who are looking for you, searching for you. The world around us, the culture around us has convinced us that we need to change our behavior in order to be right with you. That we need to trust a pastor, a priest, a church, 
to be right with you, that we need to become religious to be right with you, that we need to be nicer people to be right with you. None of those things can clean us, God, can clean our soul. Only the blood of Christ, only Jesus, the only one standing. I wonder if you're looking for God. Listen carefully. Sometimes it seems so simple we can trip over. God wants your trust. God wants your faith. God wants to see your heart and know that you're trusting in Christ and the blood that he shed on the cross to cleanse you from all sin. Is God revealing that to you? If God is gripping you and revealing that to you, then I invite you to speak to him from your heart to his right now. God, I want you in my life. The life I'm leading right now, I, I turn it 180% toward you. I, I, I make a 180 degree turn. And God, I, I'm sorry for my sin. And I'm silenced. I have no excuse, no reason, no justification. I just come with empty hands. Would this be your prayer? Are you tracking? I come with empty hands, God. I'm silenced. I'm amazed. I'm confounded that the God who made all things would come to earth, walk in our dirt, and take on my crimes, my sin, my brokenness, my misbehavior, my disobedience. So in great astonishment, great amazement, God, I trust in your gift. I receive your gift of Jesus Christ, your son. Is that your prayer in your own words? I receive Jesus as my savior, as my advocate, my representative, my Lord. I walk away from the life I'm leading God. I'm leading it on my own. And I'm tired of doing that. I want to be your child, God. Is that your prayer? Listen. Don't resist God. He's calling you. I want to be, God, your child. And I, I take your offer of righteousness and rightness with you. God, in this moment of silence, we're, we're not only silenced by the reality that we're all like sheep that have gone astray, but we're silenced by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ and the, deep, the depth of your love. As we remember now, we take this bread, pictures the brokenness of your body, this juice, pictures the blood that was shed by a perfect Savior. God, would you silence our heart as we're confounded in the most sacred way, in the most worshipful way, God. Help us never to lose sight how amazing, amazing you are.
we pray in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.